that gives us our victory. Oh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Protect us, heal us, secure us. We are weak, but thou art strong. And it's on your strength that we lean this morning, Lord. We receive by faith the victory that you have won for us on the cross. We receive it, Lord. We are not just victorious. We are more than victorious. It's your word. And your word is forever true. It is forever settled in the heavens. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you for what your son did for us and gives to us freely each day, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So we look into your word. We pray you would continue to speak to us that our minds will be continuously renewed according to your word that the Spirit of God may rest upon us in power. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us. Teach us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll go back to Auntie Deborah. Okay. We'll look at Judges 5. It's been a while because we were with Nehemiah. We'll go and Judges. We'll go back to Judges. The three main characters, one hero and two heroines, Deborah, Barak, and Jael. Okay, just recapping what we had looked in Judges 4 was the summary of events that led to Israel going back in the cycle of sin, God raising up a judge, and then the war and the victory. <clears throat> but it was an incredible victory which God wrought in their midst. And Judges 5 is the song of victory. And like 4, 5 is the song of victory. But before we go into that song, Let's once again look at chapter 5 and verse 8. The cause, the, the reason behind what happened to Israel. Yeah, what happens to Israel is what happens to the church, the Christian, the church, Christian nations. This is the cause. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. 40,000. Remember when Barak came, only 10,000 came. And then later the others joined. They have no shield, no protection, no defense, no offense. They can neither defend themselves, nor they can they fight their enemies while there is war at the gates. The war is not going to go away. Okay? Because the walk of faith is not a Sunday school picnic. Whether we like it or not, we are at war every day. There are only two choices in war. To be defeated or to win. There's not a third choice in this kind of enemy. Because it's an enemy who takes, like we say in English, no prisoners. He takes no prisoners. So we have only two choices. Either win or lose. And losing is not an option. So here you will see, why did Israel go that way? Why do churches go that way? Why do Christian nations go that way? You will see, they chose new gods. And later, there is war. War will come. When there is war, they can neither defend themselves nor fight their enemies. In Psalm 127, if you look at words 1 and 2, this is what happens. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. <coughs> it is vain for you to rise up early, 
to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow. So, for so he gives his beloved sleep. God says, if it is God who's not doing the work, if it's God who's not protecting your home, your church, your nation, it doesn't matter what we do. It does not matter what we will do. We will lose. We will lose. God has to do that work. Okay. If you go to the subsequent verses, three to five. Okay. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is the reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his skewer, full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. But here now what is happening? The children of Israel are literally, in so many ways, or figuratively, the children of God. Now, there are enemies at the gate, and they are not able to speak. But their father, the one who birthed Israel, is a mighty man of war. It's a man of war. It's a mighty man of war. His cure is full. But they cannot fight. They cannot speak. There is war at the gates. They are not able to. They are supposed to contend with their enemies at the gate. But on the day of battle, you will see no spear, no shield. And why? Because they turned their back to the God of Israel, their father, and chose new gods. And it is true. Same thing is true. We have also chosen, the Christian world has chosen new gods. Okay, new gods. We choose new gods. We slowly put the word of God away. Slowly. It's a subtle process. And we lift other ideas and other ideologies which subtly creep in. Very, very subtly creep in. When the enemy, like I said, the enemy is a very, very good salesman. And good sales, the best salesman is who can sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. Okay? And he's a very, 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 very good salesman he is. And when, you know how when salesmen sell, even if it's a defective piece, the way they speak, they will sell it to you. And the devil is a, such a good salesman. He gives you such a wonderful idea to Christians, coused with scripture. Okay? They will use a, a feeling of scripture and sell it to us. And the problem is, when you receive an idea which is not of God, which is not sanctioned by the word of God, we don't realize we receive a God behind it. There's a demon behind it. Doctrines don't stand on its own. There are demons behind doctrines. So we receive gods without realizing when we received an idea, we receive a God. And that's what happened in the Western world. And today you will see it is it. We have replaced the word of God. We have replaced the word of God with ideas which are demonic in origin. We saw yesterday, Pastor Vijay teaching about there are two kinds of wisdom. One wisdom that is from above, and that's a wisdom that is from below, which is demonic. And uh, people don't even understand it is demonic, and they won't accept it is demonic, but it is demonic. Okay, So that's what is happening. And finally, when they go into this cycle, you will see God's indictment in Judges chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Yet you have forsaken me. And served other gods. Okay. Therefore I will deliver you no more. Go cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Okay. They will sell all these isms very nicely. And then in the day of trouble you will see none of these ideologies can save us. And God says, the day of trouble, go cry out. You turned against me. You turned away from me. You forsook me and served other gods. Therefore you know what? I'll take my hands off. That's what you want. I'll take your hands off. 
Go cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. So what is the only way out? The only way out is 15 and 16. When Israel, right? And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. You see, they only want deliverance from their situation. They don't really change. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Even then he has compassion. He looks at his children. He sees their misery. And he says, okay, I know you will still go back. But you know what? I will deliver you out. But, but the indictment is there. He says, you turned from me. You served other gods. Now in the day of trouble, why don't you go to your gods? See if they will deliver you. So please understand the same principle in the new covenant for us. There is salvation, which is victory, found only in one name. <coughs> That is the name of Jesus. No other God can save us. Salvation only found in one book. The word of God. It is not found in any other book. Only this is called the word of God. There are a lot of other books which may agree, disagree and all. But that is not the word of God. Okay. Other religions may call it scriptures. But this is scripture. This is the word of God. And it cannot be broken. And our victory, if you forsake our God and we forsake his word, okay, there are people who have not forsaken Jesus, meaning they take the name of Jesus, but they have forsaken the word. They have forsaken the word. It's the same thing. We need to lift both, not just the name of Jesus. If you just lift the name of Jesus, then the other ideas become God. Okay, And it is at this point in this picture we have seen Deborah rise. The principle of first mention in Judges 4 and verse 4. Judges 4.4. 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So there are three pictures there. She's a prophetess, she's a wife, and she's judging Israel. Note, principle in Judges 2 verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16. Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed, because they were turning away from him. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So the judges were raised by God. Okay? Judges were raised by God. And you will see here, almost all the judges were weak vessels. Men who were only later made strong in faith. All the men, except for one woman here, all the judges were men. And almost every one of them, if you look, were weak vessels who had to be made strong. In this case, what scripture calls the woman a weaker vessel, she's made the judge. Okay? Okay. Because at the end of the day, whichever way, God will get the glory. Okay? She is mentioned as a prophetess. So we look at that part first, Revelation 90 and verse 10. Okay, so that we are very clear about titles and the office. <coughs> I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. This is the angel and uh, John the apostle of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what is prophecy? Behind everything, we have to look at the spirit. What is a true prophecy? A true prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. Okay? So, who is the prophet? 
who is the prophetess. When they speak, you will see behind that is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is magnified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3, what does prophecy do? Okay, He who prophesies or she who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophecy does here in this passage, it does three things. It edifies, it exhorts, and it comforts. What's the purpose of prophecy? Sometimes we, we are very narrow in our interpretation of prophecy. We think about prophecy as foretelling. Okay, It is not that. It's much more than that. That's a very narrow application. It edifies. It exhorts. It comforts. If you go to chapter 11 and verse 4 and 5, Corinthians itself, 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5. Every man praying or prophesying. And verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies. Okay, so men prophesy, women prophesy. Okay, men prophesy, women prophesy. Women can edify, women can exhort, men and women can encourage. Okay, correction and warning are part of edification. Prophets also correct. Prophets also warn. Okay. 14 and verse 5. First Corinthians 14 and verse 5 we saw. That means, I wish you all spoke with tongues, even more that you prophesied. What does it mean? It means that he says, I wish all of you prophesied, meaning all of you had the testimony of Jesus Christ. Right? You wouldn't expect only men to have the testimony of Jesus Christ and women not to have the testimony. Because what is prophecy? Prophecy is the spirit of testimony, the spirit of Christ, the testimony of Christ. I wish all of you had the testimony of Jesus Christ, both men and women. In 14 and verse 31. 14 and verse 31. For you all can prophesy, one by one, that all may learn, and all may be encouraged through prophesy. It is also teaching. You will learn and you will be encouraged. So God is not restricting prophecy to men alone. It is to women also. Okay? Men and women prophesy. And Deborah is a prophetess. Acknowledged by God in the book of Judges. That means she has the testimony of Christ. So keeping that in mind. Okay, I wanted to keep that in mind because she is first introduced to us as a prophetess. Keeping that in mind, we go to Judges 4, 6, and 7. And we had looked at it many weeks earlier, recapping. Okay, It's a rhetorical, rhetorical question. She sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinom from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. She says, did God do that? If you look at the end of verse 7, it's a question mark. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. I will deliver him into your hands. She said, you already know it. God has spoken to you. Why are you not doing it? Okay? Why are you not doing it? What we see, he seems both passive and fearful. He seems both passive and fearful. We see that in verse 8. In verse 8 he says, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. If you look at the first part alone, Barak wants Deborah to go along. That's okay. 
It is second part which is problematic. If you don't come with me, I will not go. Okay? Okay, that is the issue. You cannot mix faith and sight. It will go against you ultimately. Okay, you already have heard the prophetic word. Now you want the prophet also to come along. His issue is that he says, if you don't come, I will not come along with you. It's not that I want you to come along. If he had stopped at there and she said, I don't need to come with you. You can go alone. He said, fine, that's enough. I receive the word and I'm going. It's a confirmation. But that's not what happens over here. But in principle, if we keep the gender aside and try not try to make a political statement over there, we do want the prophetic voice to accompany us in battle. Right? It is like Moses, Aaron, and Har on the mountain while Joshua and the army are fighting. You want. And every time they look back, they look back and it gives. Okay? It has to be there. The praying person, the prophetic voice, the one who prays and prophesies is with you. It makes life easier. It makes the battle easier. But in this case, Deborah was not supposed to go. We know that. That's why verse 9. She was not supposed to go. Barak was supposed to lead alone. So she said, it is not protocol, but I will go with you. Nevertheless, because you know what? The victory of Israel is more important. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. But the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. He says, you know, the problem is, you will not have any glory in this battle. Okay? Because the same spirit that is in Spirit of God that is upon Deborah can prophesy victory on one side and take the glory away from the other side. When you have victory, you expect glory because victory and glory go together. And he says, because you refuse to go alone, you will have victory, but you will not have glory. You will not have glory. Okay? We have to be, be careful about these things because at the end of it, through it all, God gets glory. Whenever God uses a weak man to defeat the enemy or God uses a weaker vessel, the woman, ultimately God will get his glory. We will lose glory or gain glory, but God will always have glory. Okay? And if you look like 1 John 5, 4 says, how does our victory come? Our victory comes by faith. Whatever is born of faith. I, I like that word that is used. It's not whoever. It is whatever, whether it is a person or whether it is an idea. Both are included. Okay, this is an idea from God. You go, take 10,000 men, I will draw Sisera to you. So it's from God. Whatever is born from God, if it's suddenly, we see Christian businessmen, Christian professionals and all, starting up with an idea which looks so foolish and then it is, becomes ultimately so successful because it was born of God. It was born of God. If it is not born of God, we will always struggle. But if it is born of God, there will be a season of struggle. Why? God is teaching us fundamental principles of faith, how God's kingdom operates. But if it is born of God, it will overcome the world. And this idea is from God. So it has to be fought out only by the principles of faith. And whenever God births something, you will always realize that whenever God either births a person or God births an idea. The odds are always against that idea. Yeah, it stopped. Hmm? Back. Tea break.
internet. Back? Okay. So, whenever it is of faith, please remember, the odds will be always against us. It will not be for us. It will be against us. So, the odds are against Israel and the odds are always against the church. The simple reason is God likes it that way. <laughs> and we have to accept. We want the odds in our favor. But it doesn't work with God that way. Because God wants the odds against us. That is where he gets the glory. Okay, And he wants the odds to be so much on the enemy's side. That is where his defeat is even more visible. Okay, That is why through the Bible God uses weak men and foolish methods to defeat the enemy. Weak men and foolish methods. The methods will look foolish in the eyes of the world. Okay, And God is still looking and talking and taking men and women who will put aside the wisdom of the world, choose the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 121 and 123. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. See, God will never change the message. It's a message of the cross. Okay, Jesus Christ is the only God among all the gods in this world. He's the only God, if you see his pictorial representation, looks so weak. No God. No God. All of them with many arms and many heads and many eyes and many weapons. And even if it's a simple man like Buddha in his lotus position and all that. No? Except Jesus. Jesus is hanging there, bleeding, crucified. Okay, naked, hanging over there. Okay, and that is the message we preach. And it is foolishness to the world. That message is foolishness. And if you look at verse 23, the Bible says, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Greeks foolishness. So the person is weak, the message is foolishness. That's why I said God uses weak men and foolish methods. Okay? Men and women. Okay? But these men are rich in faith. They are rich in faith. Okay? So think about 10,000 poorly armed men led by a weak man with in all probability an old woman sitting on a donkey leading. This is the army. That is going against these tens and thousands with iron chariots and horsemen and heavily armed. Okay. It looks like listening to the most stupid battle plan. Leaving the safety of the mountains, where you are relatively safe. Going down into the plains where the horsemen and the chariots are waiting. You are actually going into a trap, the enemy territory. That's what verse 14 says. 4.14, Judges 4.14. Okay. Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Okay, It's good. He took her along. Okay. He's still hesitating. Okay, And she says, Go up, fight. The Lord has gone before you. He has delivered 
Sisera into your hand. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Okay? Faith always works that way. If you look at verse 15, it's interesting. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. What does it mean? It means until Barak goes down to the field in faith, God will not move. We are always waiting for God to move first. God says, no, faith doesn't work like that. Faith doesn't work like that. In faith, man has to take that move, trusting God. That is your actual first step, is the proof that you believe what God has said. And through the Bible, that is the method. And through the Bible, that's where people struggle. We don't want to take the first step. We want God to take the first step. And if God takes the first step, then it is not faith. It has become sight. Okay? Imagine Barak and all his soldiers are on the mountain looking and suddenly they see all chariots falling and rolling and them collapsing. Then it is to go down. There is no faith required. No faith required. You are already seeing it. It is not faith. It is sight. This is fundamentally the struggle of every believer. We want God to change the method. The problem is he will not change the method. And if he changes the method, it will not be good for us. It will not be good for us. God does not operate on sight. God operates on faith. And faith is basically, I trust what you have said. Show me how you have trusted me. I am going down. I am going down. And when he went down, the Bible says the Lord routed. Okay? Remember this. They had no clue what God was going to do. You can never predict God's methods. Two methods, two battles will never be similar. They had no idea what God was going to do. It's only when they went down, there's the heavens opened. And it was an unbelievable downpour. And what happens? The chariots got bogged in the, in the mud. And then they tried to escape through the river. There was a flood. The army was swept away. But they did not know this was what was going to happen. Okay, So we cannot predict also which way God will do the work. We cannot predict it. We cannot predict it. Because we can say, okay, I am stepping out by faith. I know this is what God is going to do. And suddenly we will be surprised. Because what we expected is not happening. But something else may be happening. That is why leave the methods to God. Leave the methods to God. You cannot put the Holy Spirit in a box. He is like the wind. He blows whichever way he wants. Be very, very careful, okay? Because there are two important statements which Mary makes, two important statements Mary makes, which sums up faith. One is in Luke chapter 1, 34, actually verse 38, but 34 and 38, Luke 1, 34, and then verse 38. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She says, how is this possible? You're coming and says you're going to bear a child. How is that possible? I'm not married. I cannot have a child. Okay. And what the angel says, she doesn't understand. But in verse 38, this is what she says. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Okay, This is one of the fundamental statements of faith. I don't understand. I don't have to understand. Go down, Barak, with your 10,000 poorly armed men. The Lord will deliver. I don't understand this. This has never happened. How is it possible? If you look with your mind, your imagination, your rational thinking mind, this is not possible. But... At your word, I will go. Let it be unto me according to your word. The second statement Mary makes is found in uh, John chapter. 
to write it down. John chapter 2 and John 2. Yeah, verse 5. Yeah. Whatever he says to you, do it. See, the Mary made two very important statements. Very powerful statements about faith. One, I don't understand, but let it be unto me according to your word. I am your servant. Second thing he says, whatever Jesus says, do it. Do it, okay? Remember, this is sums up faith. Faith believes and acts on the word of God, okay? Like we know from the Red Sea, right? They would never see the Egyptians again, but they had no clue what God was going to do. He didn't tell them, this is what I'm going to do. He brought them into a trap, it looks like that, and set them up over there. And the Pharaoh and all are excited. They think we got them. But they had they were never told what was God was going. Even Moses did not know what God was. We are all experts on the crossing of the Red Sea. But the problem is that they did not know. <laughs> okay. They had no clue at all. Even Moses had no clue this is what is going to happen. Until it happened. But they were told to move forward. And when they started moving forward is when the east, east wind starts blowing. Okay? Or whether it is with Jonathan. Jonathan had to move forward. That is when the victory comes. Or David had to run towards Goliath. That is when the victory comes. Okay? We, we, our issue is that our faith often does not have movement. If faith does not have movement, God waits. God waits. Okay? Another key we see is in chapter 5 of Judges, chapter words 2 and words 9. 2 and 9. When leaders lead in Israel, <coughs> when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Okay, and words 9. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Okay, it's under principle. Okay. It is not that you should be forced and coerced by your situation. God is looking for people who will willingly, both leaders and people who willingly offer. It's a fundamental principle. We willingly offer to the word of God and to his commands. This is a reminder of what Joshua had said in 24 and verse 15. Joshua 24 and verse 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which are your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, we have to make a choice. Who we will serve. Who we will believe. Who will obey. We have to. We have to make that choice. Every day it's a choice. It's a choice. Who will believe? Who will obey? Who we will serve? Nobody else can make that choice for us. We cannot even make those children. Outwardly they may. They may come and sit here. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they are listening or obeying or serving. Each one of them has to choose. Each one of them has to choose. We can put a format over there. That's all we can do. But the choices have to be individually. Made. And that's why Joshua has the leader, in spite of all the victories, cannot make them choose. He says, all I can do is that as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And why? Because, the, why is this important? Because the walk of faith 
is also a battle of faith. It's a battle of faith. What are we battling? Why is the walk of faith a battle of faith? Because we are battling sight. Faith is always battling sight. And sight is all around us. And the voices of sight are more always. For one Deborah, there could be 10,000 other voices saying that this is stupid. Are you going to listen to this stupidity? Okay. So the voices of sight are plenty. The voices of reason are plenty. That is why it is called a battle of faith. Every day we have to fight sight and the voices of sight. Right? In Mark 16, Matthew 16, verse 18, it's, this is what Jesus says. 16 and verse 18, this is what Jesus says. I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Not Peter, but the, the profession which Peter said, who he is. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. This is God's fundamental statement. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. That's the universal church in time and in space. But every year, thousands of churches shut down. Even more churches will compromise and go the way of Babylon. Tens and thousands of Christians will fall away from faith. But the statement still stands. It still stands. The statement cannot be negated. It still stands. That doesn't mean it will automatically. Every Christian has to make a choice. Who I will serve. So thousands of churches, like today, like I said, even last evening I saw uh, America's Christian population has born, fallen below 50. Fallen below 50. In a generation, it has fallen below 50. They don't go to church anymore. Go to church anymore. But does that mean hate has uh, prevailed over the church? No. It cannot, because this is the word of God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But thousands of churches will shut down. Even more churches will go the way of Babylon. Agree, compromise with the world. And tens and thousands, if not millions of Christians will fall away from faith. You know why? Because we have to choose who we will serve. Because it's just not a walk of faith. It's a battle of faith. It is in this battle that we lose. We stop advancing. We stop moving. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, I like what an old time preacher said. If you have put your faith in Jesus for your salvation, you are good enough for heaven. But if you do not walk by faith, you are not good enough for earth. For God. You are not good enough for God. For earth. You are good enough for heaven. Put in trust. You die, you go there. But after that, if you don't walk by faith, you are not good enough for earth. So in Judges 5, Verses 13 to 15, 15b meaning half of 15, Judges 5. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin with your people. From Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak. Sent into the valley under his command. Okay. So you have five specific tribes or groups that are commended for joining the fight and fighting the enemy. Ephraim, Benjamin, Makir is part of Manasseh, Zebulun, Issachar. They are all commended. Why? Because they joined the battle. 
But from 15b onwards to 17, if you look, among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. They were hesitating. Reuben was hesitating. If you come further down. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds? To hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. They are double-minded. Okay, Ramba, that's the problem with Reuben. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan remain on the ships? Gilead said, okay, we are fine because we are on the other side of Jordan. Why did Dan remain on the ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlet. So you know what? God is now rebuking those who did not join the fight. Okay. Reuben is double-minded. He doesn't join. The people of Gilead refused to fight. Because they lived on the other side of Jordan. There are a lot of people who are not involved in the fight in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because they are secure. They think they are secure. Because they are on the other side of Jordan. They are secure. You, know, you will see there are a lot of churches which faces no issues in this world at all. Because they are on the Babylonian side. They have no issues. They are on others. They never cross Jordan. They are the people of God, but they never cross Jordan. They are on the other side. Then there is Dan. Okay, Why didn't Dan come? Because he's busy with his business. Busy with business. And there is Asher. Okay, He has his inlets where he can escape if anybody comes. He knows where to hide nicely in the sea. Okay, If you look at uh, verse 18 in NIV, I like verse 18 in NIV. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives so did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Okay, they risked their lives, and God is is always see. These are all this type of words. Five is a song, so it's very important. God will look at the people in history, in His history on the day of judgment. Those who risked His life for His name and for His glory. Those who risked their lives and those who hid, those who compromised. And it says the people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. In verse 23, you will see Meroz is cursed. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So when you join into this battle of faith, you're fighting on God's side. It's not that God needs help, but God takes our help. And if we don't join the battle on God's side, you know what, on, on his side, God says, ultimately you will be cursed. Meros is cursed. While in verse 24, a woman is blessed. There's cursing and blessing. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite. Blessed is he among women in tents. While one city and its entire inhabitants are cursed because they refuse to join the battle. While a woman is blessed. Twice she is blessed over there because she joined the battle. So don't miss these things. While trying to save their own lives, Miros came under a curse. And the other tribes too. Okay, While the woman and Zebulun and Naphtali who risked their lives are honored and blessed. This is exactly what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 to 38. When he had called the people to himself, his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will 
lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his life? You know what? Meros and its inhabitants were cursed. It is not revoked. It's not revoked. It's cursed. They thought they were saving their life. But ultimately, because of the curse, they will lose their lives. The others risk their lives. Risk their lives. But ultimately, they will gain their life. That's why that famous statement of Jim Elliot was martyr. He is no fool. He gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Okay? So the question we have to ask in the light of what God's Spirit speaks through Deborah, <coughs> am I a risk taker or am I an excuse maker? Am I a, because faith is always a risk. In the world of sight, faith is a risk. Because sometimes you stand all alone. Because all around are people of sight. You are all alone. Joseph was all alone. Because faith is a risk in this world. You may have nobody to support you. So the question is, am I a risk taker? Or am I an excuse maker? And you will see the contrast. In verse 28 and 28 to 30. 28 to 30. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is the chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two? For Sisera, a plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Right? So there is... A contrast made over there between Deborah the mother and the mother of Sisera. Here is one mother who is fighting for the glory of God and the children of Israel. While the other mother is waiting for the loot, the plunder and the women who will be captured. Okay, Two mothers are picked. One is the mother of Sisera. Okay, The mother is Sisera. The other is Deborah the mother. Two mothers are contrasted. Okay, these are pictures in the Bible. The two mothers are contrasted. And God says, which, which do we fall into? And then we will see, Jael is contrasted with Sisera's mother. Okay? One is living in opulence, <coughs> in this case, waiting for the plunder, and rationalizes all her son's crimes. He's going to loot, kill, murder, rape. That's all okay, as long as he brings the plunder. Jael lives in a tent, moving from place to place, Yet her arms are strong in battle. And in verse 24, twice she's called blessed. Meaning what? These are all pictures of the Bible because a woman, sorry, of the church because the woman represents the church. Is a woman a mother like Deborah? Or is the woman a mother like Sisera's mother? Is the woman like Sisera's mother? That is like Babylon? Or is it like Jael who, like Paul says, we are aliens and pilgrims, ten dwellers over there but our hands are mighty in war. So in verse 31, we will have a song, the end of the song. <coughs> Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength, so the land had rest for 40 years. And this song will ultimately apply to everyone, because ultimately all the enemies of God will perish. That is flesh, the world, and Satan will 
perish. But those who love the Lord will overcome. They will overcome. So chapter 5 is actually the song of victory. That is what God's people do. They sing in victory. That is what happened, we know, in Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Actually, the whole chapter, that's what, after 400 years of bondage, they see God sweeping their enemies away. The Bible says, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. That's exactly what happens here too in chapter 5 and verse 1. You will see from there, Deborah and Barak break into a song because of the victory. Judges 5, 1 and verse 2. Deborah and the son of Abinam and Barak sang. Well, we have the whole song. The whole song, okay? When God's people win, they sing because they know the victory was always of God. This is not of us and they will glorify him. In First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1, she has won a battle with barrenness. It's a battle and she's birthing a warrior. And so she, her prayer is a song. Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. Because I rejoice in it. It, 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 is, it is not an ordinary song of a woman who gives, gives birth to a child. These are songs of battle. Okay, because it's a big victory and we'll see she's birthed a warrior. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 49, actually it's much more, but just that five verses. Mary also, when she conceives, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Verse 48, for he has rejoiced the lowly state of his maidservants. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. See, these are all songs of praise, giving God. She is birthed the Savior, though she doesn't really understand. In verse 67 to 68, John's father, Zechariah, will prophetically sing a song. It's a prophet, so you can sing a song in prayer. You can prophesy and sing a song. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Father verses will also show us. These are all songs. These are all songs. Okay, But ultimately, we will see the future also, the scene in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. Okay, when God's people are victorious and come through. After these things, I looked. Behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And you know, they will also sing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. So you will see them singing over there. If you turn to chapter 15 and verses 1 to 5, you will see again. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them 
the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like the sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Okay. Now you look at it, the dif- what is the difference over here? The difference is the Old Testament saints sang after the event. New Covenant saints sing before the event because we know we are already victorious in Christ. When on the cross he said it is finished, it is finished. So we don't wait to see, to sing. We don't wait to sing. All their songs are practically after they have experienced the victory. That's why we have my most most favorite portion in the book of Acts is Paul and Silas singing in the midnight hour. Why are they singing? They are, they are actually in defeat. They should wait to sing after they are released. But you don't see that. They know that you know if you are walking by faith, you cannot be defeated. You cannot be defeated. It's impossible to be defeated. Your outward state does not matter. Your inward state matters. In inward state, in faith, you are always victorious. And therefore, we sing. We can always sing. We don't have to see victory to sing. We don't have to see victories to sing. We can always praise. We can always worship in any situation, whether we are in the palace or in the prison. We can always sing. You know why? Because we are part of that group in the book of Revelation. We have seen the end from the beginning. And ultimately, we see in Corinthians 15 and verse 55. Ultimate enemy. The ultimate enemy is death. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Because both death and grave have been swallowed in victory by Christ. So death does not hold any fear for us. It should not hold any fear for us. The grave should not hold any fear for us because the grave could not hold him. Now we who are in Christ, the grave cannot hold us. Otherwise, Jesus is just sitting with his head on the throne with no body. That is why the Bible says we are seated in him because the church is his body. It's his body. God has already seen the end from the beginning. So if the grave could not hold him, the grave cannot hold anybody who is in him. So grave does not have victory anymore. Death could not hold him. Death cannot hold his body. That's why we sing. Because sin... The devil and death, all three has been defeated. So remember, Judges 5, 31, it's our song. It's our song. We sing. All the enemies of God will be ultimately defeated. The devil is defeated. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. But those who love him will be like the sun when it comes to full strength. Meaning, the, 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 your, your righteousness, the cause of your righteousness will shine like the noonday sun. That the psalmist says in Psalm 37. I will make the cause of your righteousness, of your justice, shine like the noonday sun, while all his enemies will be defeated. 
ultimately all is sailing away. So let's compete, let us sing. You know, we sing. We don't look at sickness, we don't look at any of anything that is happening anywhere. We can sing. We are not moved, we are not shaken because Christ has won the victory. Can we sing that song? No? Or death? Yeah, we will sing that song. The ladies can have the microphone and the tweeters are here. Four tweeters are there. The little birds. And we shall sing because we are always victorious. <coughs> Come.
Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just glorify you, Lord. All of us are faced with this choice every day, Lord. To walk by faith or to walk by sight. To join the battle of faith or give in to sight. And if you don't obey and go, there will be a curse that will be pronounced over us. But at the hour where the church was fighting, Reuben was double-minded. Dan was about his business. Asher was looking at safety. Gilead was on the other side thinking he was safe. God is still telling us today, if you don't gather with me, you will scatter. The lines are very clearly drawn with Christ or against Christ. Only two sides. And if we don't go, when we are called and sent out, later go, we may win the fight, but we'll lose the glory on that day. Barak lost, won the fight, but he lost the glory. God is asking us today, Old covenant people fought that fight. They had to fight physical fights. We have to fight our spiritual fights. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But the word of God says he takes us in triumph in every place at every time. In Christ we cannot be defeated. In the old covenant death was a defeat. In the new covenant death itself has been swallowed in victory. Sin has been defeated. Sickness has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Hades has been defeated. And God is asking us today, have you joined the fight? Meros tries to save their life. They ultimately lost it. Yet Zebulun and Naphtali were willing to risk their very own lives. And therefore they saved it. The word of God can never be changed. It is forever settled on earth and in heaven. It cannot be broken. Anyone who tries to save his life will lose it. But everyone who loses his life for the kingdom and for the gospel will gain. God is asking us today. Are you looking at the situations around you? 
Are you looking at the odds are against you? Yes, the odds are against the church. And the odds were always against Israel from its birth till today. The odds are against Israel. And from the day the church was born in Jerusalem, in the upper room, till today, the odds are against the church. But that's where faith comes in. Faith demands that we move at the word of God. For faith promises that God will join the battle. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant could not wait for the waters to recede. They had to step into the flooded waters before the waters would recede. Faith demands a step of obedience. Who is listening today? What is that step God is demanding from you? You are waiting for your breakthrough. You are waiting for your victory. But you also know you have to take a step a couple of steps. God is asking us today. Have you taken that step? You're still waiting for me to move first. He says, I don't do it. I've already spoken. I've already spoken. That's the first step which I have taken. For once I have spoken, it will never go void. It will achieve the purpose for which it has been sent forth. The word of God will never fail. It cannot fail. Now, God says, will you take that step? And what I have spoken to you. When Barak arose and went down with that 10,000 men, the Bible says the Lord fought and joined that battle. Joined that battle. When Joshua marched through the night at the word of the Lord and reached to fight those 10 kings, the Lord joined the battle. And more were killed by the Lord through hailstones that fell from heaven than by the sword of Joshua and the army. They had to make a move. It was when the widow baked those two cakes and gave it to Elijah. That's when the bin filled up and the jar filled up. She had to make that step. That's exactly what Jesus told Mary and Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. But before they could see the resurrection, they had to move the stone. They had to move the stone. God is asking, what do you have to move? What do you have to move? Peter said that day, all night we fished, we caught nothing. But at your word, at your word, I will cast the net. At your word, yes, whole night, all these years, you may have failed. But today, if God is speaking to you, will you cast your net? Will you cast your net? If God has spoken, it is settled. It is settled. It's what God told Joshua. Go take the city. I've already given it to you. All Joshua had to do was God told him to do. Seven days later, the city was gone. Don't hesitate like Barak. Barak had heard. He needed to be called by Deborah and rebuked. 
Hasn't God already told you? He's a fearful man. He said, unless you come, I will not go. But we are willing to go. We will praise Him. We will worship Him. We will sing that song. Oh, victory. There are no songs of defeat in the church. There are no songs of defeat in the church. Church only knows songs of victory. Because He has already spoken over us. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. An idea God has given you. In whatever profession you are in. If it is from God. It's already anointed to win. But you are hesitant. You are hesitant. It looks very small. Five loaves and two fish. What can we do with this? Give it to me, said the Lord. It looked very little. But it was already anointed. To feed a multitude. God is speaking. He is speaking today. Do not shorten the hand of the Lord by your unbelief. He is willing. He is more than willing. Any soldier in the Israelite army could have brought Goliath down. Anybody. But it took a teenage shepherd boy to bring him down. Because he believed. The word of God says David ran towards Goliath. Every victory God has wrought in history is to prove faith wins. Faith always wins. Because in faith is the power of God. By faith we access the very grace of God. Father, this morning I pray faith will arise. Wherever people are struggling, they will hear, they will believe, they will obey, and they will take that step of faith. That step of faith. They will take that step of faith. And they will see their enemies fall before them. They will see the powers of darkness flee before them. One can put a thousand to flee. Two can put ten thousand. Because the Lord has already sold them. Goliath is nothing. Before God's people. The giants are nothing before God's people. Could they have God behind them, for them, with them, and in them? Touch. Touch, Lord. Touch. Touch your people. Let faith continuously arise. Faith continuously arise. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. Faith has evidence. It has work. It has movements. 
And it comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us not be rebuked like Barak. We don't have to be told over and over again, what are you doing here? Isn't victory already been promised? And yet hesitant to go. For it is impossible to please God without faith. Sin is not the same anymore as it was in the Old Testament. Because sin has been overcome by Christ. New Testament saints do not struggle with sin like Old Testament saints. Sickness is not the same as in the Old Testament. Peace and anxiety. That's why the word of God says in the new covenant, be anxious for nothing. Everything was done on the cross. Everything. Death has been overcome. Speak to us, Lord, today. Let the church not cover in fear. Let the enemy dread the church. As Rahab and the people of Jericho lived in fear for 40 years. While Israel wandered in the desert, they were living in fear of the God of Israel. And it just took the children of Israel doing nothing. Just walking around at the word of God for the city to be taken. Just that easy. But for 40 years they wandered and they gained nothing because they didn't believe. (coughs) God asks us today, are you risk takers or are you excuse makers? Are you making excuses for your defeat or you only take risk your life because the word of God is behind you. We are willing to risk, Lord. Because you have magnified your word above all your name. We stand on your word. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the compromised church says. They can keep changing their colors, but we stand on what you have spoken. Because we know it cannot change. We will not compromise. We will not buckle under pressure. Because we know the word of God prevails always. The cross was not defeat. It was the ultimate victory. And we are not ashamed of the cross. We are not ashamed to preach Christ crucified. Out of that stripes comes our healing and we believe and receive our healing. Out of that shedding of that blood comes a remission of our sins and we believe in it. We believe in it. And we overcome the enemy by the blood, the accuser of the enemy. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren. We overcome him. When he accuses you, we point you to the blood. For there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. You have no answer to the blood devil. For the blood speaks for us in the heavenlies. For the word of God says with one offering he has bought for us eternal redemption. For the blood of Jesus has no expiry date. 
It is done. It is finished. It is over. To you devil we tell you. You have only one place. It's under our feet. That's where you belong. Hell was prepared for you. You already know your end. My Lord walked on the earth. You said, have you come to torment us before our time? You know what your end is. We know what our end is. That's why we sing. We sing the song of the Lamb. We sing the song of Moses. Ascribe greatness to our God. Come Peter, let's sing the song of Moses. Then let's sing the song of the Lamb. Let us join by faith for an event that will take place in future. By faith. Ascribe greatness to our God the Rock. His work is perfect and all His ways are just. Our God, our God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and our pride is He. Salvation belongs to the Lord, the song of the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, who sits upon the throne, and not to the Lamb. Be praise and glory, wisdom and God.
We just lift you up this morning. We just lift you up, O Lord. And we cast on every idea, every imagination, every thought that raises itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We cast down demons of infirmity and disease. We cast down demons of rebellion and oppression. We cast you down and we tremble upon you in the name of Jesus. No sorcery will work against the church. No occult will work against the church. We tremble upon sorcerers and their spells in the name of Jesus. That is the place where you belong, you demons that have been released under our feet. For the God of peace will soon trample Jesus. Satan himself under our feet. That is the word. We proclaim it. The spirit of the pandemic, the spirit of fear, we cast you down in the name of Jesus. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. All honor, power, and glory belongs to you, Lord. Unto him who sits upon the throne, O oh Lord, forever and ever and ever, O oh Lord. Oh, Father. The church is victorious. The church is glorious. She's clothed in splendor because her bridegroom has bought her with his own blood, O oh Lord. We are blood-washed children of God, victorious forever, O oh Lord. You are the conqueror and you have spoken over us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, O oh Lord. O oh Father, in your name, in your name there is victory. In your name there is victory. And we proclaim the name of Jesus. What can stand against that name? For every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is only one name in the heavenlies. It is the name of Jesus. We lift that name up today, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. And we gladly go into this battle, Lord, knowing victory is assured, Lord. What can the enemy do to us? For death itself has been swallowed in victory. What can the devil do? When death has no power over your people. For to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the victory you wrought on the cross. When you rose from the dead on the third day. And the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead dwells within us. And the word of God says it shall quicken your mortal bodies today. I speak that anointing into everyone who's listening and who believes. Let the spirit of God quicken your mortal bodies. Breaking down disease and depression. Sickness and sadness. We are people who rejoice even in chains. In prison we sing. And we see the power of God setting captives free. We are a people who sing. We are a people who are joyous. We are burdened by the sins of others. But the oppression of others. Not our own. Amen. Amen. We are a joyous people. We are a people who celebrate because our Lord has won the victory. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. The song of Deborah is our song. The song of Moses is our song. The song of Hannah is our song. The song of Mary is our song. Because through it all that was burst, and through it all who gained victory was Christ himself. For our God is a man of war. From everlasting to everlasting, he has won every battle. He doesn't know what defeat is. And we shall walk by faith. We shall live by faith. We shall speak by faith. And the odds may be against us. 
but God sits at the throne and He laughs at His enemies. Oh, Father, we laugh with You. We laugh with You. We rejoice with You. And we give You the glory. We give You the honor. We give You the power. We give You the praise this morning. Let Your people celebrate. Let Your people everywhere celebrate. Oh, Father, by faith we celebrate. And one day by sight, we will celebrate in your presence. We don't have to see anymore to sing. We sing, therefore we see. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just glorify you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Come with the body of Christ, our church, our churches, everyone into their hands. May your hand rest upon everyone. Oh, Father, the hand of victory, the hand of power, rest upon us, O oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray.